0: all right uh welcome to the mesh point podcast uh tonight tony and i are overly excited uh to to have coach tim stowers on the night um coach it's an honor how how you doing
1: i'm doing great i'm great to be on the uh, mesh point podcast I, i think i'm uh becoming more and more familiar with the popularity of podcasts yeah, we've been doing it for,
0: for quite a while now, and, um, you know, it's a way to connect with coaches. And And I'll be honest with you, um, you know, besides trying to pay things forward, we get probably the, just as much professional growth out of it as anything. Wouldn't you say, Tony? Oh, absolutely,
2: man. You know? Yeah. You know, some- you know, it's like our own coach's clinic. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? So, yeah. Pick your brain and stuff like yeah. that. And then, and then just guys talking ball. Then we put it out there and we can't believe that people want to actually listen to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Just don't
1: tell anybody about my green pants on the belly. That's
2: it. That's <laughs> right. That's right.
1: That's a, tra- that's a trade secret, Coach. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the intellectual property secret.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we're certainly glad to have you tonight. Why don't you kick us off and talk about, You know, for those of of the listeners, maybe the younger guys that are running this stuff, uh, maybe talk about your background, where you played, and then, um, you know, your coaching journey along the way, all all the stops and and your experiences.
1: Yeah, I started off playing football at Auburn. Grew up in North Alabama, went to Grissom High School, played at Auburn, and uh, I signed at Auburn as a linebacker. And then – the next year, you ever heard of PW Underwood? Y'all know who that is. He was the head coach at Southern Miss, and he was the head coach they recruited, Coach uh, Ray Guy. And he okay. was kind of a legendary figure, a personality like uh, Coach Howard at Clemson. Okay, and those yeah. Guys. And he was my position coach at Auburn. And then I had a couple guys that got uh, hurt. In fact, one of them was my roommate in like second scrimmage of the first scrimmage after my, of my sophomore year. And then they called me in at breakfast and said, hey, you have to play some offense. So I played offense against Arizona the first game because they were running out of offensive line. Well, then when they, we were playing Arizona, and the first team no guard tears his knee up. Now, we didn't have lights at Jordan-Hare back then. It was a 1 o'clock kickoff. It was hot. It was probably 110 down there on the turf on the turf and I was Co- coach Underwood came up to me half time and said, Hey, you might have to play some nose guard. Holy cow. So what happened the next week? I I played both. I was the last Auburn tiger to play regularly, both ways in the same game. And what happened on Monday, I go out with the offense Tuesday with the defense and go to all their meetings. And then come Thursday, I said, well, I don't know where to, who to go with. So against get Southern <laughs> Mississippi in 77. I played. Linebacker, nose guard, and offensive guard. I didn't play every play, but I played a lot at both. God. So I didn't even know I was the last regular until David Halfle, who was the sports information guy and the athletic director. Like I just didn't go in on goal line. I was out there playing linebacker, nose guard, and offensive line. Well, it wasn't great for me as a player because. No, I didn't have great ability, but I had enough ability to play a lot of different positions. So I never got to settle in on a position early because I was always right. Hey, it's pretty good at this place, pretty good at this place. But what's helped me coaching wise is I played a lot of positions in the tackle box and I can relate now to those positions. Mm-hmm. So that was positive. I played offensive tackle against Tennessee. It was later on in the game when the game was on the line. I played offensive guard. And but they threw me in an offensive tackle. And that was back when they had the Rudy rule. So you had guys back home that should have been there on the sidelines who was ready to go in and play, but we couldn't, we could only dress out so many. So I played offensive tackle against Tennessee. I've never played offensive tackle before or since at practice. So I went to I played at Auburn, uh, and I decided I wanted to be a coach. Actually, my dad coached one year at Houston County High School right outside of Dothan, Alabama. He went 10-0, won the peanut bowl, and got into administration. So if you look in the Alabama history, he's like undefeated. That was back in 1950 or something. So I decided I want to coach. So I started student coaching in Auburn. You know how that kind of goes. They had all these different titles for us. We were graduate assistants one year, next year the NCW team, we were student coaches. So I got recruited by Coach Jordan was the head coach and I got recruited and Coach Bar, I played for Coach Barfield and I coached with Coach Dye. And then I was like the head JB coach and all this kind of stuff. And uh I guess one of our claims to fame is our station, when all, remember when we, all the players reported you'd have a station. So my station was vertical jump. So me and another guy, vertical jump, Bo Jackson, the first night at Auburn. He went way up there, like 44 inches. <laughs> but I decided to stay on and get my master's. I was head JV coach. I was coach that chauffeur when the plane couldn't get out. You know, now they have like all these analysts. We probably did the Work or probably 10 analysts, (laughs) you know, because we do all kinds of go get the golf clubs at the country club, you know, show for them, all that kind of stuff. So I stayed there for five years after I played. I couldn't play my seniors, they had back surgery. They didn't know a lot about backs back then. So I started coaching. I'm glad I did. And then I went to Jacksonville State for a year. And then our coach left and then Ert Russell had started football and I was the head GD coach at Auburn. I don't know if some of you guys are old enough to know how to swap film on the Greyhound bus. Yeah. And so meet the bus I at five o'clock in the morning with 16 millimeter Actually, I was the film coach at Auburn. And when we uh after every game, there'd be 36 cans of film that would show up for every game. You have to house it and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Coach Russell was the head coach of Georgia Southern. So they play like the Fort Benning Doughboys. Have you ever seen that movie? We were soldiers, and he's sending the team, sending the troops off on a football field. That is Doughboy Stadium. I have coached at that field several times. Okay. And the Army's had teams there that played. Coach Dye actually played for that team when he was in the Army, and he called and he wanted to know if we had. Uh, I could send him the film, so I'd send him the film, and so. After our coach left the Jackson State, I went to Georgia Southern and I coached there about 10 or 12 years. Five. We played for the National Championship five times and won it four. So I did that. And then I went to Temple with Bobby Wallace as a coach there for two years. Yeah. And uh, ran North Alabama South. That's kind of where I learned how to run the belly, which their offense is very similar to to the spread option or flex boom, then I got the job at Rhode Island. And our second year, Rhode Island, we were eight and three. That's the third best record in Rhode Island history of 120 years. Then I went to coach with the head Mac over there at uh Central Connecticut State, which he had a lot of fun. Won the conference championship there, and I went to then I went to Holmes Community College, and then I just finished here at Southwest Community College. Had a lot of success at Holmes. Uh, we led the country in rushing. i uh, like to have a little bit more time be able to get the players and student-athletes to marry into the plan. Never really got them to marry all the way into the plan. of uh, Y'all were coaching flex bone offense or spread option offense. You know how that kind of stuff is. Yeah. And never really got them to marry in like we did at home.
0: Yeah. Well, coach, that's an unbelievable journey. And uh, I mean, obviously, your experiences along the way really obviously helped mold you, help pave the way for you. Um, just, just real quick, just talk to us about what it what was like to coach for, uh, for Pat Dye.
1: Well, you know, coaching for Coach Russell and Coach Dye, you know, Coach Russell played at Auburn and went yeah. to coach at Georgia. A uh, little bit of approach, but I was a little bit different approach to the two of them. But uh, I haven't grown up in Alabama, and as we talked to before, they, in Alabama they think they invented football. <laughs> Especially the guys that came out in crimson. <laughs> yeah. And when, when I played, when Coach Bryant was leaning on the goalpost, you know, and you ran out the stretch, you know, mentally, that's kind of a tough sight because you're mentally about you're down by a touchdown or ten points before you kick off. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, they, were, they did a really good job in high school. We had a great high school coach, Coach Larry Robinson and Grissom, and they taught fundamentals. And they, the defenses that they taught, you know, they do a really good job with clinics at Auburn and Alabama for high school coaches. They do a really good job of teaching the detail of assignment. But the thing that they really teach is effort. And I don't know if you all have heard this before. The football play on average lasts five seconds. Okay, if you play Sydney plays in a game, that's going to last about just under six minutes of football at one game. You play 11 games, that's just a little over an hour of football. Well, you got five years to play four. So your whole career, decide where, especially in this day and time, decide whether you're going to go in the NFL or not, consists of four hours of football to show your stuff. But the ratio of getting ready to play those four hours is probably 18 to 20 to 1. Lifting weights, practicing, all that kind of stuff. So they teach effort. You know, especially back then when I was playing. They teach effort on defense. They teach effort on offense. It's full speed. You know, two a days, sometimes in pads in the morning, pads in the afternoon. All that kind of stuff. So I've lived it. I've Experienced it and I grew up with it. Yeah.
0: Well, it just had to be just an awesome experience in your career to be able to coach uh, for Pat Dye and for Russell. I mean, you know, not many people can say that. (laughs) So,
1: well, Coach Dye, I mean, he was, you know, he was from Georgia, but he coached for Coach Bryant and, you know, effort, they coached effort. Yeah. And, And anything else was basically Right. Right.
0: Right. Well, coach, uh, just uh, and talk about what it was like as, as the head coach at Georgia Southern, the head coach, Rhode Island and and running the flex Bone. You know, talk talk to us about kind of what you had to do to, to create the, the program you wanted to great. You know, like you talked about earlier about getting the guys to buy in, you know, just talk about some things maybe that that you've had to do over the years to kind of get those guys to buy in a little bit for you.
1: Well, you know, the harder you work, the more it is to really be deviate from the plan. And the one thing about Georgia Southern and Auburn and those places, when you came out there to practice, I mean, it was going to be full speed. You're going to sprint through the comb. You know, I like to tell all the players that I played and I played when I played and I coached also and you did too when targeting was legal and encouraged that practice. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> you know, that's what I grew up with. That's probably why I played my whole high school and college career with no ACL. Uh, I still don't have an ACL because they didn't know how to fix them back then. But uh, the hard part about coaching is to sell the offense and get them to marry into the plan. Especially like I told the guys on that uh, the last clinic I did if you're not going to get the offensive line to come off the ball, scream off the ball, then don't try to run this offense I will tell you an interesting story, you know, we ran the wisp on Auburn, actually I coached defense at Auburn Moore when Coach Guy was there but there was a guy named Alex Gibbs there, y'all may know him he was the blocking guru Zone blocking guru for the Broncos, and he had been with Woody Hayes, and he came to Auburn. We had some really good running backs, Brooks, cribs and Andrews, and 79 So I was a student coach of them. So that's kind of how I learned the zone block. And then uh, I went to joshua State. We ran the split back beer, and that was zone blocking. And because the head coach had got the job, he had worked with Gibbs too. And so, what we did on the split back beer at running the zone dive at Georgia's at Auburn with Gibbs, and then running the inside beer week of the zone dive at Jacksonville State, when you run the triple to the weak side, the quarterback reads the first down alignment side, the quarterback's imaginary, the B back reads the first down alignment side, the quarterback's imaginary read. So, we got to Georgia Southern and Coach Russell kind of wanted to run the triple option 12 and 13. So I said, well, let's just let the B-back read the first down line with South quarterback's imaginary read, but to do it from five yards behind the quarterback. And it worked. And so we didn't have a big argument about it. We just tried it, and it worked. And that's why – that's one of the main differences between Georgia Sutherland and Whistbone because we get a three technique in the Whistbone they'll make the crease go outside. And they'll make right. will kind of tow in the line of streamers. But, you know, coaching effort, and they worked so hard that, hey, that's how they kind of marry into the plan. Yeah. Those 2 days on the banks of beautiful Eagle Creek, which is basically a drainage ditch, But, you know, it was uh, – I can remember one time – it was 110 degrees. There's this bank sign across the street of beautiful Eagle Creek. And it had the temperature. It flashed the temperature 110. And Coach Russell would go out and jog at lunchtime. And he'd say, he'd come back in. He'd say, the bear's out <laughs> because it's <was> so hot. <laughs> and, uh, that one day, it was like 110, and we did goal line at the end. I went up to Coach Russell, and there must have been eight offensive linemen over there with the trainer, and I said, if we lose one more offensive lineman, Coach, we're out of goal line. He said, no kid." But we made it through practice. But, you know, I think the biggest thing back then was coaching effort and the dedication and the toughness you had to have, you know, just to make it through full pads of two-a-day. You know, Coach Russell liked to go two-a-days in the morning and afternoon. However, Coach Dye and Coach Bryant and them, they thought you shouldn't do two-a-days. You shouldn't do full pads in the morning and afternoon. But Coach Bryant would practice two-and-a-half hours in the afternoon. Coach Russell would practice like an hour and 15 minutes in the morning, an hour and 20 minutes in the afternoon. So they had totally different approaches. Both, both ways were tough. But I'd say the biggest thing, they married in the plan because they invested so much into it, they didn't want to give up. Gotcha.
2: Hey, Coach, uh, can you talk maybe about uh, a mentor that you leaned on over your career, you know, to help guide you through maybe difficult decisions that you had to make? A
1: mentor?
2: Yeah,
1: or maybe a few of them. You You know, I've kind of been a mentor. In my stage in life, I've kind of been a mentor to a lot of other people. Yeah. You know, a mentor I've talked to, I guess Coach Russell was one of them. Coach Dye was one of them. You know, a guy that helped me get on with Coach Dye was a guy named Wayne Hall, who's a defense coordinator. He was from Huntsville, I was I would say it was a collective group of people more so than just one person. I would say, though, as time has come on, it's come, I've, I've been a mentor to – and look forward to being a mentor to – a lot of young coaches in the profession. Oh, that's well, sometimes when you – sometimes if you're in a forest and you, all you do is sit down and count all the leaves, a big tree will fall on the key. <laughs> so, so, as I've gotten older, i you're much always much better at seeing the big picture rather than the little picky-wing things that don't make as big a difference as seeing the big picture. Yeah. Uh, that's some wise
2: advice right there. Coach, let's talk Juco ball. Can you tell us a little bit about Southwest Mississippi and Holmes, uh, for those that don't know about uh, Mississippi Juco ball?
1: Well, you know, it's really got it's really a really good league. We call it the SEC uh, Juco football. And actually the guy that was the head coach at Holmes had, had a couple of stints there, Jeff Koontz. I actually hired him at Georgia Southern to start working in the weight room as kind of a graduate assistant. And he got in with the Juco League and was the head coach at Holmes. I was looking for a job and he wanted to institute the option. And we went over there and it took, it takes a little bit of time because it's so different. I'm going to say some, most times it could take a year and a half to maybe two years. You can get lucky and get it to go a little bit sooner than that. That's about what it takes to get everything kind of clicking. And Juco football, what it is, is they've got really good defensive linemen in this league, and they come from everywhere around the country to look for those defensive linemen or division one players, maybe a big linebacker, maybe a 6'6", 230 hundred thirty pound outside backer, and it's a really good league. I think it's got better since I arrived here, like in twenty fourteen, and uh, you know. Gulf Coast and Northwest are really good programs. I'll tell you this, that uh, guess who I coached in 1984 as a walk-on offensive lineman at Jacksonville State? Buddy cool? Stevens, the head coach at East Mississippi on Last Chance You? Oh, I'll <laughs> be oh, okay. He's actually from outside of Huntsville. I think he went to Buckhorn High School. So I have a good relationship with him. But – uh Juco football is tough, it's hard-nosed, it's very physical, and a lot, I think, before the transfer rule, I think that's hurt a little bit, but there was usually about 13 to 14 SEC players that would sign every year out of this league. Like, there's a guy that played for us that's that starting at uh, Purdue. He's a defensive end, and I think he's, like, third on the league in tackles, and, Third on the team in tackles. he was first for a couple of games. Sacks, he's playing kind of a hybrid linebacker, defensive end. He's about, he came to us and he was about 6'3, 235, and now he's 6'3, 270. So it's really a, the, the most satisfying thing about Juco football is seeing a kid come in and maybe he doesn't have a whole lot material-wise. He grows and matures. Even more so than a four year school and because they gotta get the grades and then they get a scholarship somewhere. Man. Especially in this offense, coaching offensive linemen that nobody wants, and then you get through them for two years and then there's people that win, they go and start. Like there's there's one at Kennesaw State that was I know they didn't play this year. He's like first team All American. There's one who went to Southeastern our coach that was a second team all conference. And when we signed him, he was like 6'1, 230. (laughs) So when you coach this offense, you know, it's very satisfying to see kids grow up in JUCO leagues and become better football players and get scholarships or grow on, go on to, you know, get a good education at one of the four-year institutions it's a tough league and it gets tough for every year. It's really good speed and it's very physical inside the tackle box. It's kind of like, it's gotta be the Juco of SEC football.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, yeah, I've always heard Mississippi Juco's were, were tough, you know, yeah. uh, very physical. Yeah. Good, good football for sure. Uh, I think that's probably what it's known for. Um, well, well, Coach, let's get into it a little bit. What tell us about you know if you're you know you're at Southwest, right? You're putting it in, and uh, what what what's your offense look like, right? Each each I think everybody kind of has their own little spin on it, but
1: well, like I said, we really didn't we really didn't do well uh, as well consistently at Southwest but we wanted to. What happened was I got the job after uh, about May of the first year, so spring practice was already over. So it took a little bit longer to get them to marry into it. And it was really kind of sporadic. You know, it would be good here, it'd be bad there. So, But at Holmes, we really got them to marry into the plan. You know, we always started off with, you know, uh, the spread set. One of the things we started off doing was running the belly because let's say if you were, didn't have somebody, usually when you try to read the triple option, you know, it, it can look good in practice, say it's the first year. But you get out there live and in person, then the quarterbacks will have trouble reading it live and in person. So you gotta have double option football. You gotta have double option plays until they can really read it live and in person. So in JUCO football, it takes you, you know, they may be able to start reading it a little bit live and in person toward the end of their first year. But if you expect them to be able, unless they did in high school, do it right off. That's going to be difficult. I think that's one of the reasons why some people get real discouraged with the offense. you got to be patient. It'll take like a year and a half, really, maybe sometimes two, really for things to start to turn for you with the whole offensive attack. You know, reading the triple, running the toss, rocket toss, you know, we, we really developed some at Rhode Island. I brought them down there. We really developed some really good play action concepts, which I talked about on a clinic last weekend. They were really good. We, our bowl team at Holmes, we were in – I think we threw 16 touchdown passes in 10 games. Wow. We had a wide receiver. He's with the Cleveland Browns, I believe. He was like six yards short of a thousand, being a thousand yard receiver. So you think, that it's not a very good passing formation, but you can get some guys wide open, as y'all well know. Yeah. So getting them to marry into the play, getting the offensive linemen to come off the ball, people don't really understand that you can get by with a lot smaller offensive linemen. You just got to teach leverage. You know, they got to get under people's pads. If they're going to combo and get high, that's what everybody else is teaching. That's going to be very, very difficult. So, But the biggest problem is getting them to marry into it. And understand, it's almost like you're teaching. Sometimes you, you're you trying to get offensive line to come off the ball. They'll look at you like you got three hits. So <laughs> they think they did a good job coming off the ball. And you say, you're too high. You're going know, to you get your second step down. You're not running out the football. It just won't work. So if they've never experienced it, or some of the coaches you're working with that have never experienced it for the first time, it is almost foreign to them. And that's what you fight. And if you can get out of that hump where everybody kind of marries into it and has some success, uh, then it'll serve you well. Because you'll it'll give you the opportunity to move the ball against superior personnel. Right. I'll tell, tell
2: you a funny story. When I was telling you about me and Coach Mays at Zephyr Hills a long time ago. Right. We, we, we put that uh, belly in. And we didn't know any difference between belly and belly option. So we oh, taught yeah. the, we taught the daggone quarterback to read it every time.
1: <laughs>
2: oh no! And we didn't know it was two separate play calls. You know what I mean? And it's so funny. Just looking, looking how back, uh, looking back and seeing how much we've grown. And so we, the kid would just pull it every time, and he was just such a good athlete. We're like, man, he's, he's doing a great job reading that thing,
1: man. <laughs> <laughs> well, a long time ago on that on that stuff for a while, you know how things change when you ran the. If you ran the belly and the belly option, you ran it to the open inside. Then you ran the belly option first, and you kept them honest with the belly. To the tight inside, you ran the belly first, and you kept them honest with the belly option. And I think that's probably still the same way to the tight inside. So you really run the belly over there first, belly option second to the open inside to eight man front it's better to run the belly option first and keep them honest with the belly. If the price side bagger starts flying out of there, you got to run the belly option, belly over there to keep the guy honest.
2: Right. It's still one heck of a play. It's one of my favorite plays, I'll tell you that. It's
1: a, it's a, I ran it one time in junior college football. I ran it 28 times. Wow. <laughs> Feed the beast. Keep it going, right? 28 times. The problem is, you know, you used to get a lot of three techniques, mm-hmm. and now people aren't – they aren't giving you a three technique at all. They're playing A-gaps, and I think that's why you see Army – Army's running the zone dive, but they're really blocking down on I don't know, y'all may be doing that too. I thought about running – the way I run the zone dive is different, but I think what they're doing is good, and then Navy – Gets the tight, gets the wide receivers in there tight. They're probably about two yards or three yards, and they'll block down with the tight with the wide receiver yeah. and the quarterback hitting the C gap. I think uh, flexbone people or option people need to continue to explore more C gap runs, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the way might be the way with the future. Because you know we've gotten, I've seen just about every defense you can imagine. Uh, running this offense, over so there, double eagles, triple stacks, fifties, eight man fronts, fifty four across, all that kind of stuff. But, but for a long, for a while when we first got in JUCO, we'd get three techniques. Now they won't even line up in a three technique already at all, because that's the best. Pl- that's one of the best places to run the belly to a three technique. When three techniques used to be very difficult to handle. And when you only have like 12 or 13 and the zone dive. But now with the midline and the belly, you know, now they won't even line up in a three technique anymore. Right. That's unique. That's unique. I was watching your
2: clinic earlier, how you do it too, where like you're X blocking it or folding, you know? And because there's, I guess there's, that's a question we get quite a bit is how do you, how do you run belly to a three technique, you know, for a two man surface, you know what I mean? And, and uh, so I've seen a team go out-out and fold that suck that slot all the way to A-gap before, you know what I mean? Just, but I think the way that you're doing it, the way you coach it up, is probably the most effective. we got a school down here, they're really good at that, that X-block,
0: man. They're really good at gashing. You yeah, know, wing T that. guys call that cross-block. There you play. go. They call that
1: play cross-block. Yeah. yeah. Now, we, what we did, we, we – you know, I've noticed that Army kind of really does a good job of staying low and going and kicking out the guys almost like it really is an X block, and the guard that guard kind of pulls up in the line of scrimmage now. You know, they got probably 35 offensive linemen, and they can go full speed all the time, so what we did, we, we teach the guard to go straight back, straight up, then out. And that's been pretty good for us for a long time, but I kind of would like this for the idea of doing it like Army does, but you know, they're a four-year institution, and I, I kind of still kind of like the way we've been doing it for a while. But blocking that, one of the things people make mistakes with is blocking down on the three technique. They think you gotta block, you can't let your hat cross the midline of the three techniques' body. You're basically blocking with your shoulder square. And you don't want your hat and hands to get inside the midline of that three technique. So really, you're, you're really not blocking down as much as kind of because if you block across the midline of the guy's body, he's going to cross the face and make the tack. Yeah, that's but, how we uh, used to
2: block in the wishbone, like shoulder blocking in the wishbone with a flipper and everything, you know? we block down on the three technique like that, like you're saying, kind of, you know what I mean? Where you yeah, bite and and the I, think,
1: and, uh, I think they do that a lot and they teach that a lot in the uh, old school uh, wing tee. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't I don't usually use a lot of hat shoulder blocks. Movements. We're down the middle, you know, look through your eyebrows to the target, that kind of stuff. Get your second step down, flat backs. Uh, but blocking down on the belly, you got to keep the shoulder square on a three technique.
0: Yeah, because he'll get outside of you and then that's, he's unaccounted for at that point. what
1: you, if you really get good at the three technique will widen. Three ten 3 widens, you got a good down blocker, he'll get his second step down and square up the 3 and the B-back will be underneath the three. Yeah. I've seen one going a long way. That's yeah. pretty good runs. But that takes – that's kind of advanced belly football right there. Yeah. That doesn't happen overnight.
2: And what about the coordination of the slot there, you know, the play side uh, A-back there, you know, trying to – I see he's kind of like wedging, pushing the tackle almost, like underneath the – uh a
1: tight end, you mean?
2: Yeah, or if you do, it like younger. let's say you go from a two man surface, you know what I mean. You're you're, you're running versus that. Uh, I think
1: you had you the run it versus. With thing. a tight end, we don't. We'll tell the a back he'll go threatening fold player to safety, so he's not really looking for the play side backer. Now, if you run the belly option, he automatically loads the play side backer, not in the count linebacker to safety. Right. But if you run it to an open inside, then sometimes you have to tag it. We just call 44-45 or load. Let okay. the A but dig the backer out. You have That's to do right. that sometimes to the split inside, but the belly to the tight inside, you shouldn't have to do that.
2: That's right. That's
1: and another right. reason why we send the guards straight back and straight up is we were playing Delaware one night and they were playing a four-three mm-hmm. and they left, they sent the nine technique out and they brought the four-three backer straight up. That was the first time we had seen that. So, you can let, by the way we teach the guard, you can let the guard zone the area if he's had enough reps at it. So, he can just end up kicking out the linebacker coming through. But that's also advanced belly football, too. hey,
2: you get a twofer almost like, right? I mean, because <laughs> you're getting underneath of that. That's what, that's what the great part about that play is. All them guys coming off the edge are irrelevant, right?
1: Because <laughs> you're, you're ducking underneath. if I was coaching high school football which I'm probably going to do at some point in time here uh, I believe that'd be the first play I put in the belly yes sir you know a lot of times when maybe the quarterback's not on or they're running the wrong routes it's a play I can make work I say all right, guys that's why we ran it 28 times one time. You want other stuff? They might be fumbling the ball, dropping the pitch, running the wrong route, dropping the route. Okay, we're going on the belly here. That's belly weird. time. already <laughs> 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 chance.
2: Yeah. Uh, Coach, I wanted to ask you about a, a, a play, a counter option. You know, think, talking about high school, is that a play you think can be successful on a high school level, counter option?
1: I think it's kind of died a little bit. It's funny how some plays – Die and then come back. One of them is the dump pass. Back in the late 80s and 90s and early 90s, late 80s, we run the dump pass. You just flash fake right to the B back, and the place I would a back to it. It was right, left, right, and he turns up inside the strong safety dump into it. To well, that place kind of come back. And I, ha- I had a couple of dump passes on the clinic tape from the other day. But the first time, to my knowledge, the first time that thing was ever run was in, we played FAMU in 1988. The trap, it's a trap option of the counter option with place that in back twirls. Mm-hmm. And then really you can it just like the triple 12 and 13. And so the only difference is the place on 12, and 13, you read one pitch off two, block number three. So on the trap option, the backside guard, the playside tackle, will take care of the first linebacker inside uh first linebacker nine the count and number one, the playside tackle on the backside guard. So it's a double option play. Well, the problem is in most high schools you can't cut the five technique yeah. anymore. Yeah. And you can't uh you know, in college you can't cut outside the tackle box. Sometimes you can get some officials where they think you did something wrong, you didn't, and you can't cut more than five yards downfield. So it's almost now maybe a secondary, but the trap still works. Oh, yeah. But really, if you really want to know why, you've probably seen other people run this offense yes, and watch them from the sidelines. If they don't have really a piece of paper, they may have a piece of paper to reference. They're just sitting out there watching to see if the five technique squeezing or not see, squeezing, see if the safety's coming down. So if the safety's coming down, they're play action pass. So when you run the trap and the trap option, if the five technique is not squeezing, you run the trap. If the five technique squeezes really hard, you run the counter trap option, which is eighteen and nineteen. And you, if you can protect it well enough. We had some really good deadly play action passes on that uh, counter on the trap trap option 18 and 19. But uh you know, it's basically with a five ten squeezer. I think it's maybe a more of a secondary play now. I don't think the trap is, but I think the trap option is a little bit of a secondary play. And in so much as I've even let the backside guard, you can run it and still let the backside guard stay high on the five technique. You just got to get the five techniques to squeeze. And it's just that simple. Are they going to squeeze or not squeeze? It's not like you got a big game plan. Right. Yeah. You
2: know? Now, now was there, um, I w- we, we get asked a lot about the uh, the action of the quarterback on that play, you know, because sometimes you see him fronting out and sometimes you see him countering out. You know what I mean? Is there a rule of thumb for, for that?
1: Well, a long time ago, there used to be a play called 38-39. That's what we ran off the trap. And the quarterback actually stepped at 4 o'clock and went 360. And he'd take it to the B-back and come out, but you block it the same way. Well, that kind of play it kind of died a little bit on us. So then we started running 18 and 19. And so what you got to do is you step almost like it's midline over here to the backside with the guards pulling. And then you have to come back underneath. The problem is, if you got one and two on the line of scrimmage over there to the other side, then we used to check out either a long time ago. If he had one and two, look like one and two might come hard. Uh, we, we'd want to run it to a 5 tenning some kind of hip player. And then I think uh, the guys at Navy, they started turning that way, but peeking over there with the quarterback and pitching to the backside of A. That's kind of hairy, but you, you know, I mean, it'll probably work, but you that's a lot of teaching right there. So, and I think Navy now is, uh, they'll run that and read the midline out the back side. Yeah. And pull it and go back to the other side if they think it's an advantage. So, you know, maybe it'll come back a little bit stronger, but for a long time it was a really good football play for us, but, the quarterback steps are really not that complicated. He steps at six o'clock and then comes back underneath. Now, if you want to read it out the backside, it's just midline steps and getting back at six o'clock and reading it. And you can even make the B back read the run the midline steps also. You know, before we'd let him, I'd let him step with his play side foot to the back cheek of the center. So in the second step, he'd get the guard's hip on the trap. I think the trap's still pretty strong, but I think the trap option play is a little bit of a secondary play right now. Yeah. Now you can run it. You know, it's a pretty good trap option play. That's a sec, be a secondary play where you run it off the rocket toss out the back side. Oh yeah. Be the low guy. Yeah, I think that too.
2: I think they're calling that the Cobra
1: or something like that. Isn't that what it's called? Cobra? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's Yeah. A that's whatever you want to call it. it, doesn't matter what you call it.
2: No, it don't matter.
1: It's, uh, it's a
2: cool little play though. You're right.
1: If you get uh you can let the B back be the low guy to get a two count over there. Yeah. If you get a three count, you know, he can be the guy that you can crack him or let him go to the corner or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's good
2: stuff. Coach uh McLeod, I hate to hog it up, man. I got one more real quick if you don't mind. No, coach, go ahead. This is what it's so about. I just remember notes. Yeah. I remember <laughs> uh one thing we we really love, uh, back in Zephyr Hills, back in the day, we had uh, – and I even ran this at East Bay. Uh, we had uh, your short yardage goal line package. was what I called a short yardage goal line package. But it was set formation. You know what I mean? Set right. Yeah, set right. Dive in ends, power out. Yes, sir. And and, and it's so simple, right? Um, it, it, the simple. It, it can be a small, small package, right? But the cool thing I thought about it was we were able to – uh, get guys from the uh, defensive side of the football to come over. And, then, and, we, you know, we had a fancy name for it, like Hammer or Studs. They run on the field all blowed up like a turkey, you know, because they get to play that blocking back, that fullback spot, and go blow somebody yep. up. <laughs>
1: That's and, always good for helping selling the offense to the team. But uh, a long time ago, every Tuesday, it didn't matter how many people were hurt or not with Coach Russell, we put the ball on the six-yard line. And it was full speed versus the defense and full speed tackling. And we'd run double down kick out. And we'd run the ISO back the other way or the ISO option back the weak side. And we'd run some other plays. But those are basically the plays. We never threw it. We line I remember we lined up at Florida one time with no eligible numbers. And at Auburn, we had the ball on about the six-yard line and we scored both times knocking the ball and just power football, down, down, kick out. But uh, we did that for a long time. I used to love goal line every Tuesday Coach Russell. They used to call it hurt Ball. But uh, then we started running the duck play. And we ran that a little bit out of the – I think we ran it in East Carolina years ago. Kind of a duck play, kind of a fullback follow play. And then we started running it. Pretty much full time at exit at, uh, Rhode Island. The quarterback we had, he was the all time leading touchdown guy. He had forty two touchdowns. He probably scored thirty two of them on what we call twenty eight low. Basically, you base everybody up. The B bats got the mic backer out. That the setback read the C gap, and the quarterback goes after he, after he passes after, after the uh. Ball passes the B back's butt or B back's butt passes him. He goes B back, goes B gap, C gap, D gap, pitch the ball. Already ever pitched the ball. That's one of the best ways in the world to get into the end zone on about the three yard line, four yard line. in. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really good. Yeah. And I love But it. the love other it. stuff was good too. We used to do it out in the middle of the field at Georgia Southern years ago. It was yeah. third and one where we'd send the whole team out. Yeah. A, set right 46.
2: It It's just a personality, man. It's a you know, personality thing, you know what I mean? Knock them in the mouth, you know what I mean? Send a message, and it just, you know, it, it gets the team where they need to be mentally, you know what I mean? Like, out physical the other team. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an attitude
1: play for sure. I love it. Yeah, that's a good point. It just all depends, you know, you get good at the plays you believe in work yeah. on and teach. And if you want to believe in that, and that's what you want to do. Yeah. I and mean, that'll probably be really good for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, going live and goal line. What what are your thoughts on um, just in, in general with practice? You know, how much, how much live opportunities did you give your guys uh, in practice typically during the week?
1: Well, once the season starts, uh, what we started doing was we we do uh, ten yard box drill, and so we just put the ball down and get the and get the uh, the guy holding the not the chains but the down marker, Mm -hmm. and you know we're going to go ten yards so we get the best film and it's live against the defense and we go kind of till we're satisfied, but mostly about ten minutes. Okay. We get the ones in there and the twos in there. Yeah. Go about 10 minutes full speed tackling. Now you gotta go back and forth with him and let the quarterback be tackled. If he's a young guy, he's trouble fumbling the ball, you might want to let him get tackled a little bit, but everybody else is full speed. Now you try to stay up, especially when you don't have you know, sometimes we'll tell them we'll let them cut, but most times we won't. I've kind of gotten away from cutting on the primer as much. Because officials really can't tell whether it's legal or not. Yeah, They all probably have the same problem. Because yeah. that's all. That's all. The other coach and all them. All they do is complain about it. I think they're gonna get cut. But, yeah. So, you know, I would think on on a for a high school on a Monday on a work day, you know, about ten minutes, kind of get them lathered up. Something they look forward to, and you can film and coach off the film. Now. If, you play really bad and nobody hit anybody, you might have to go a little longer. But during the season, you know, something, get a couple racks, a few racks over 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever. Yeah. But I think that always helps quite a bit. Yeah. To get them kind of ladder up, get them a little bit better. Cause that's really one of the drills where they really do get better in their own heads, offense and defense. Cause the best thing to do is put them in drills where there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any sense. If you play playing for Danny Ford, you know what I'm talking
0: about. Uh, yes, Danny I know. Said. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't want to be the guy that got caught standing around. That's for darn sure.
1: Like the time I went to watch Clemson years ago, Danny Ford was the coach. Well, he had the board drill down there, and he had it rolling. He had everybody rolling down there. Different groups coming to do the oh, drill. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. So he, he knew the importance of tackle box football. When it, the whole name of the game in the SEC and the Clemson, those places is getting off the block and making the tackle. The tackle box is tough.
0: Yeah, yeah. He uh, he made an emphasis on blocking and tackling. That, that was his thing. You know.
1: Yeah, all, that's all, what I, Coach I, Dye was all about. That's really what Coach Wilson all. Yeah. All those old SEC guys are like that. Yeah. Yeah. Blocking and tackling,
0: that was it. I mean nothing else existed. <laughs>
1: Basic fundamentals. So of yeah. course now everybody's tackling a little bit different. They're going near shoulder, near leg, which is it's probably safer. I think the game with all the zone blocking that's happening is uh is the game has gotten a little bit safer. Yeah. You know, and I've uh I think Army and them and Navy and them are running a little bit of outside zone ops and stuff. I think that stuff's good. Yeah. I think it's really good. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Coach, I had a question about um, your days at Central Connecticut. You know, uh, I think I think you mentioned earlier uh, in, in your video that you did Friday or Saturday um, about uh, you, you spent a little time doing some gun stuff. Can you talk a little bit
1: about that? We did. Uh, Jeff Mackner. He's at uh, Indiana now. I've known him since he was at Troy in like 1982. I think where I met him. And he was. He coached me at Georgia Southern and at Rhode Island. He got the job at Central Connecticut. Then I went over to be the offense coordinator with him. And he one, kind of wanted to be one one third option, one third pass, and one third power. So we did gun stuff. We could line up in every, every form. We get out in the center. We ran the belly. Uh, we run the ISO. we run, you know, we'd sprint out. we go three step. we run the A gap power underneath the center and then the gun. We could read it and we'd sprint out. Uh, one of the things I really like, and we did a little bit of that here at, because uh, I've run. If you can't really come off the ball as well as you really need to at Georgia Southern and some, at Rhode Island some, we also mixed in a little bit of shotgun. One of the things we did, we let the center of uh, the shotgun, we ran the, the lead option with outside zone blocking. And we can make it where we could pitch off the ML line scrimmage to pitch off a force with outside zone blocking, but we led the quarterback with the snap. So the quarterback, the center would snap the ball a little bit, yeah, a little bit of an angle. So that way you didn't have to anchor down the backside. You could pull, scoop it. Uh-huh. And if everybody starts overrunning, the quarterback could duck underneath. And that was a really good play for us. And then we had some really, really good play action, really good play action package. Uh, we threw like eight or nine touchdowns off of it. Kind of the same approach we did with uh, – What I talked about the other day, the three-man wheel, which I called the turkey and the whale, which was good. But uh, we were out power. We could do it underneath the center. We had a power pass. I'm sure you've seen that, Coach. Yeah. Uh, Power pass. We could sprint out. We could run the inside zone. We run the belly. We run the belly option. We had a pretty good package. We were one-third power, one-third pass, one-third option. Kind of what we did at Auburn. Before Coach Dye got
2: there, you guys look like Coastal Carolina, huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I want to. I'd really like to. I've watched Coastal Carolina, and they say they're running a lot of ops and stuff in uh, the gun. I've taped them a few times and watched them. I haven't really studied them. I would like to study them and see. They say they run the belly from the gun. I've seen a high school coach run the belly from the gun over at Starkville High School. Uh, over in Mississippi. Um, but I'd really like to sit down and study him more and see what they're really trying to do. I know he was at Charleston Southern before he went there, but uh, I think a mixture of the gun is not a bad approach, but you got to keep it simple and you can't be very complicated. Yeah, if you do that, but that's what we ran at Central and ran. In, I think we were conference champions our first year. dude. we were like uh maybe rushed for two hundred and threw for two thirty or two fifty a game was pretty good. Pretty innovative, right there. Pretty cool.
2: Um Coach McLeod, I'm lost, man. Where are we at? We-
0: <laughs> well, we're we're we're, rolling. we're we're about done. We're gonna. I think we'll ask him just maybe to talk about one or two drills that you know that you think you got to use every day in this offense and kind of just talk about them. And then I think we'll wrap it up. Coach.
2: I know you had the boards. You had the boards. I saw, uh, you know, you were working your center and your guard and your tackle in that uh, your, your clinic the other day.
1: Well, the first, the overall philosophy, if you don't get the offensive line to scream off the ball, or if you don't understand if your offensive line, coach does not understand they've got to get the second step down with a flat back and scream off the football you're trying to knock that down lineman if you're blocking a two-technique or a four-technique or whatever, you're not trying to – you don't have the attitude that you're going to knock that guy into the linebacker's lap and they start stomping their feet and that kind of stuff. I mean, you might as well do something else, just like taking a shower with a raincoat. (laughs) If you can get them to come off the football and – the biggest, some of the biggest things I've done. Thing I don't know where I got that board drill, but getting the center to snap and step at the same time. I used to use the two by four, now I use a one by three. But if you put that board right up next to the outside foot of that center, you can actually use a nerf ball and not make somebody take the snap. But it's a mental thing that makes him move the ball and move his foot at the same time. And I teach the center the wide scoop and tight scoop or outside zone or inside zone, whatever you want to call it. But when you're running this offense, you've got to take a bunch of guys that nobody, most of them nobody else wants. So I'll ask them all the time, I'll say, Well, the defense that comes to come over and ask you to play defense, they'll say no. I say, well, listen, this is the last stop. You know, <laughs> if you can't play here, you're not you're out of luck. So it's the best group on the field to coach, but you got to coach their feet and you got to make them move their feet. You got to get them to get their second step down. A lot of people think that offensive want to take really long steps. They really only step like three inches, four inches, five inches, six inches. And you got to get them to gang around the first step. You got to get them, if they're going to the right and the left. You got to keep them from picking their foot up and really losing ground and stepping underneath the themselves. If you, I know Coach McLeod has. Have you ever seen an offensive lineman? They pick their right foot up there and want step on top of their left foot. From right. The floor. So that board drill helps them not step on their foot. They help them gain ground the first step. The other thing is I came up with a drill that I saw uh, uh, the offensive coordinator at uh, Kennesaw. A chestnut uh, chestnut chestnut. He I signed him and Jordan Summit. He played fourth or fourth year or two while I was there. You know, he had a really good attitude, he was a hard nosed football player and gave great effort. They did a zigzag drill and it teaches really good effort. As I came up with that thing, I don't know, back in the 80s, and you come off and punch, you go right foot, left foot, but basically. You're trying to get them to cross their feet, but what it does is you go about, he went about 10 yards, and I think he towards Southern we go. He might have gone 15 yards, but I, I now I only go about six or eight yards, but what it does, is it teaches them effort. If it's hot out there and they got to hit their belly when you blow the whistle, they got to sprint across where they started from. they don't sprint back where they started from, they got to go again. But you, you don't really understand how much you've got to punch the bag, and you got to get them to hit the bag over and over and over. Hit the sled over and over. You got to step over the board over and over. Because you know, like I said, not nobody's asking them to come play defense, right? You know, and they're the last, they the last group. If you can, you're in a four year school or in a high school where you got them for four or five years, you can really get them to take good steps. Yeah, but You got to do the fundamentals over and over again. If you can get like 20 minutes at the beginning of the practice to go through those fundamentals fits, fits, sleds, zigzag, boards. If you can get them to do that, you can make a lot of progress. If you don't, you might as well run some other options. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, we, we certainly uh, can't thank you enough, Coach, for coming on, man. It was great. It was awesome. I
1: appreciate y'all inviting me.
0: No, it was oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. No. yeah. You, you, you're the GOAT coach. Yeah.
2: <laughs> appreciate it, man.
1: I enjoyed it, and uh, I enjoyed talking about all those stories before we went live. Yeah. <laughs> <said> before, live. <laughs>
2: no, I promise. I promise. No, no, they weren't. Yeah, no. They were not. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, if I can ever help you again, just let me know. I enjoyed being on No, nah, it was great, coach.
0: We can't thank you enough. It was awesome. We had a- that's going to wrap this episode of the MeshPoint Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. You can download or listen to our podcast at Apple iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Podcast app. You can go on and rate us if you think we're any good. and leave you some comments that you might think uh, you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Again, I'm Matt McLeod. You can reach me on Twitter at RunTheTriple. Again, that's at RunTheTriple. Our MeshPoint Podcast uh, has its own Twitter page. And that is at the mesh point again at the mesh point. You can also find me on flexbonation.com. I have an option blog there and write articles and that plays, uh, that can help you out particularly during the season. All right, Tony, I want you to let the listeners know how they can get you on social media. All
2: right, guys go to three face football on Twitter at three face football. And, uh, you'll, you'll be able to follow my account and, um, the cool thing about it is, is every Monday we do something called Mesh Point Monday, and basically I'll post out four questions concerning a triple option topic, and it's a great opportunity for coaches all around uh, the country and, uh, to, to get together and network and, and uh, get to know each other and you know, we'll talk about some kind of triple option topic. So catch, uh, catch that every Monday, 8 o'clock Eastern, and uh, what you want to do is search the hashtag Mesh Point to see everybody's responses uh, to, to the four questions. Uh, like I said, great, great way to uh, build our networks and, and, and learn some things. It's like an ongoing webinar on Twitter. So it's real cool. Also, check out the website, threefacefootball.net. Uh, we've got some cool gear like Fear the Veer. You'll see in the background here. Uh, Fear the Veer stuff, uh, Mesh Point gear and, and other things like that. So uh, go check out that website as well.